I'm Dan Carell, CEO of the Digital Commerce Alliance, and this is Commerce Code, a bi-weekly digital commerce podcast for leaders in card linking, loyalty and digital marketing, mobile wallets and payments, and financial data. Thanks for joining this running conversation with leaders in the industry. And if you like this podcast, come join us at a Digital Commerce Alliance event. You can learn more at www.digcomall.org. This week, I'm talking with Avinash Chukka from Cardlytics. Cardlytics is one of the market's largest digital ad platforms. And as many of our listeners know, Cardlytics puts targeted ads directly into banks' digital platforms. So they're reaching bank customers with offers that are inside that bank account interface. Their system touches half the card swipes in the U.S. and has a global presence, too. I just visited them in London last week. Avinash is the VP of product at Cardlytics, so he's got a clear line of sight to what they've rolled out and what they're developing next. Avinash spoke at the DCA Summit at MasterCard this November, and he and I are following up on that session to unpack some of the key points that he made. We'll be talking today about art versus science in digital marketing, tactics to increase cardholder engagement through targeted offers, the marginal benefits of shaping cardholder spend by having better data on preferences, geofenced offers, and more. So stay tuned for a deep dive into the art of customer engagement, a conversation with Avinash Chukka of Cardlytics. This episode of Commerce Code is brought to you by Augio, a global leader in engagement platform technologies that create compelling experiences, foster people connections, and cultivate brand advocates worldwide. With more than 45 years of experience, Augio empowers Fortune 500 companies to deliver extraordinary brand experiences for employees, consumers, channel partners, subscribers, and members. Fueled by a holistic engagement ecosystem across workplace engagement, experiential, social activation, customer loyalty, and digital asset experiences, Augio's mission is inspiring people to achieve more, one interaction, transaction, and experience at a time. Augio, engagement unleashed. Avinash, thank you so much for joining us on Commerce Code. Uh, great to have you with us today. And uh, remind me, where, where are you joining us from? Yeah, Dan, thank you so much for having me. I'm in San Francisco Bay Area, and it's a beautiful, clear day here. Terrific. You know, you and I had, we, I can't believe it was, it was November. Uh, it was that long ago that we had the DCA Summit in Manhattan, just a terrific day. And you did a presentation about customer engagement that I thought was great. And you and I have kind of talked about wanting to unpack it a little bit more on this podcast. And so I'm, I'm glad you were able to make some time for it here on the holidays. And so you uh, titled your session around the the art of customer engagement, and I I thought a little maybe a little too much about that. But you know we talk so much I think on this podcast and in, in the Digital Commerce Alliance about what you could call the science, I guess, right? The data, the data flows, all that. It's 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 certainly most of what we talk about in a lot of ways. But I'd love to hear your angle just to start about kind of the role that art and judgment kind of plays in getting customers engaged because in addition to the science, you know, that's a big thing, right? It is. And again, I think art by design is not supposed to be scalable, right? People have different perspectives, but its purpose is to inspire, right? In a world where a user is exposed to five to 10,000 ad impressions a day, all claiming to be hyper relevant, it's more important than ever for these publishers to differentiate. So to inspire publishers, you know, aka the banks, leverage various tactics like would be gamification, presentation, or personalization tactics, right? Such as allowing users to 
pick a color of their credit card. Like my wife is obsessed with her rose gold Amex card because she got to pick the color. Right? There's a lot of gamification tactics like that as well. Like for instance, welcome bonuses and benefits, for example. Some partners give uh, 50,000 bonus points, which is equivalent to about $500 statement credit if you spend 3K in three months. Others offer a little bit more sophisticated benefits where they divide the welcome bonus over time and say, I'll give you $120 statement credit for Uber Eats, but it'll be split as $10 credit per month. There are various presentation tactics, and I think this is where we as a company help, like showing local offers on a map, right? Seeing a new restaurant offer, a new logo that you may not recognize close to a grocery store that you love can inspire a user to go and engage. So we, we have a few banks that also boost an offer to celebrate an event or holiday like ice cream day or pizza day or allow users to contribute their points towards a cause and donate it, for instance. So there are several ways to inspire. You're talking about, and we'll end up talking about both the science and the art, but I think you're talking about the ability to use some science, if you will, or at least visibility and tracking to see what art is working. It's as simple as that. There's so many ideas out there that are terrific, but some of them catch more than others, right? And it's, it is remarkable what people respond to. And um, I'm, I pulled out my, as you were talking, my metal American Express card that has just like a flower garden all over it. And, and every time I hand this thing over to someone, when that still happens, you know, they, they take it and they hold it and they play with it and they look at it and say, well, this is amazing. So you're right. Like, and you know, I'm sure that was one of a dozen ideas that Amex played with as far as what they could do with their cards. And I'm sure probably the rose gold was one of the choices and I, I picked this one, but they found out that it worked when, when they found out. Right. And it, it seems like they've stuck with it. Part of what you talked about, Avinash, in your, your presentation was kind of a, a matrix for thinking about offer engagement on the one hand as a podcast, right? So we could, could kind of, people can kind of imagine offer engagement on one axis and then like card usage on the other. And so it's, you know, how many offers does the cardholder activate? That's engagement with offers. And then how many times do they actually use the card? That's usage, obviously. And, and of course, the goal is to get max usage by engaging the cardholder with offers, but you do have situations where customers activate a lot of offers, but don't necessarily spend a ton on the card. For example, maybe they don't actually exercise the offers or maybe they're small offers or whatever. And then the other way around. So how do you move a card holder like that, that maybe is kind of engaged, but they're just not the usage isn't great? How do you move them over into the high card usage space? So let me give you some stats, right? So around 20 to 30% of people who activate Redeem and everyday spending category has much higher ratio. Fortunately, the bucket of users that you're referencing, you know, the ones that activate a lot of offers but don't redeem are small than the lower single digits. So consumers who actually engage in our program uh, show about 30% more transactions and spend about 20% more than consumers who do not. And, and to address your question directly, the tactics that we currently use to re-engage such customers would be to send, you know, offer expiry nudges and to show them more diverse offers to inspire them to make a transaction. You mentioned special days both earlier and then also at the summit. And there have been some researchers that point at these and, and call them peak experiences, right? Having customers that have peak experiences. And in many ways, this is sort of a tried and true marketing tactic. So in, this, in that sense, it's sort of not new, but... I wonder from your perspective how technology can make it better because I think you guys really sit at you know an intersection of both high volume of, of activity, obviously, and then very high tech that's embedded. So how does the technology make those peak experiences better? Firstly, I'm actually curious. You know, these are very quirky holidays. They're super interesting. 
I don't know if you celebrate any of these, but my son, you know, he's six years old and he has started sushi Saturdays. Like he can barely say soy sauce. Uh, and he understands that it's better to say sushi Saturday than to ask, like, can you go get sushi today? And I believe like Jan 17th is chocolate cake day. And in March sometime, we have jewelry day. And now everyone knows Valentine's Day and Mother's Day, but the marketplace is quite expensive during that time. So I think it's an opportunity for marketers to think about how do they differentiate themselves by having something that's unique and being able to stand out and create a viral moment. While you and I may not care about ice cream days and donut days and jewelry days, but some people do. And so, but it's important for us to build the right sort of tools to make it easier for the banks to set up their campaigns and to target the right audience. On the, the intersection of technology and those social things, it seems to me that technology simply makes, I'm going to call them micro holidays. That might be a little bit too narrow for what they actually are. I don't know, but you know, if you got, I mean, imagine the extreme 50 years ago, you got basically three major network channels plus public broadcasting, and then you got radio. I mean, that's how you would reach people in newspapers. You know, you, you can't probably, or at least probably not very many of those channels are going to invest in something like ice cream day or sushi Saturdays, or we've got taco Tuesdays. I mean, actually for all I know, surely somebody has named every single day of the week after a food. Right. And, but taco Tuesdays have taken off. I actually hadn't heard of sushi Saturdays. And I think that's a good example. That's the point, which is there is a constituency for people who like sushi. And if they're into it, they're going to know about it. But the point of sushi Saturdays is that it's going to grow that constituency incrementally. And because you have social media, it makes it possible, right? That may not be, I mean, right. It's, it's sort of just the way that large numbers work. So you got three, you know, if you just, if you just constrain yourself to the United States, 330 million people, if only 1% of those people are super into sushi, I'm, I'm sure it's much more than one. That's still a, a huge absolute number of people totally worth addressing that market. But you wouldn't do it if you only had that major broadcasting canon. You'd look at that and go, look, it's exactly. only 1%. And so I think that's a terrific opportunity there. And it lets you, presumably lets you guys see who's interested in what, right? That's exactly right. You, you do not want to give sort of a jewelry day offers to somebody who doesn't care, right? Or, you know, pet offers for pet day for somebody who doesn't have a pet. So that's exactly right. Avinash, you guys have geofenced offers. You've got like 14,000 restaurants involved. And you're seeing higher activation with those offers. It feels to me like that technology has been talked about for a really long time. I feel like 10 or 15 years ago, we were talking about, oh, this is obviously going to be possible. But it has been hard to deliver that to the market. You know, we haven't seen as much of that, I don't think, as as maybe we expected a long time ago. So what's the, the trick to making those geofenced or geolocated offers really work? It is tricky indeed. This is relatively new for us and we're still scaling up this program. And to be clear, we're partnering with various aggregators to source the demand and we're right. confident that we'll be you know, one of the largest repositories of local CLO offers by end of 2024. I can share a few challenges. We receive hundreds of millions of transaction strings with merchant IDs and really messy descriptors. And, and so first, we, we need to have an accurate way to tag these transactions to a merchant and enrich them. And second is campaign setup, right? We use various strategies to fetch the right imagery, set geo radius targeting, create campaigns at scale. And these campaigns still need to compete with the rest of the offers in the marketplace that are actually created by humans, so which is also quite tricky. And this surge in volume of offers does open up new set of problems around offer discovery and pushes us to build more structured rewards hub with category filters and pushes us to introduce search functionality. So we're very excited about the initial results. Users love buying local and supporting SMBs. We see that the activation rates are about 40% higher compared to QSRs. So we're looking forward to scaling this up. 
And as a practical matter, so I'm a, I'm a consumer, and this might be as much a vision as it is a re- reality. I'm going to see it. You know, it's it's coming through my smartphone. I'm I'm assuming all this, so you can tell me whether this is true. It's coming through my smartphone, and it's going to kind of come up on the maybe the lock screen isn't depending on my settings for notifications, all that stuff. But it would come as kind of as a lock screen, as an offer, perhaps, or is it only maybe when I open like a map app or something like that, or is it something else? Yeah, right now we're not triggering any notifications based on geofence or georadius. That is something that we have to be extremely careful of doing because it has that creep effect. But you have several ways to discover this, right? One is you can go into the rewards hub and you can actually look at all the restaurant offers or you could use the map interface as well to see what are the restaurant offers in your proximity. You can certainly imagine you know, you, you're in the Bay Area. It doesn't matter what urban area you're in, but the more dense it is, I can imagine the challenge you, you guys face in terms of how to design this thing. And so, you know, if yeah. you're out and it's different, you know, I suppose if you're doing it again, you know, you can you can see where people are, it so to speak. If you're doing the Great American Road Trip, right, and you're in rural Minnesota, in my home state, driving around, it, it would be, you know, it'd be quite welcome, actually, <laughs> uh, to have, you know, some notification of like, hey, there's a something or other, you know, some some restaurant, you know, within 20 miles of you, because it wouldn't be assaulting you. And, and there are times when you literally are like, where on earth can I find food? But yeah, I mean, I think for the vast majority of people, most of the time, they're in a more dense urban environment, um, whether it's suburban or urban. And so you got to think really critically about design features of how you do this. Yeah, right. Identifying the right sort of moment to trigger the notification. Uh, you mentioned that it could be based on the lap long or when somebody is driving. The other moments could be when you actually swipe the card, right? Because we know you're, you're at that particular location and we can figure out, okay, are there any other corresponding restaurants nearby? And is the right time of the day for us to go and send you a notification? So there are different opportunities, different trigger points that we could explore in the future. Commerce Code is brought to you in part by Vantage Score. Nine of the top 10 banks and over 3,000 leading banks and fintechs use Vantage Score to predict and manage repayment risk. Learn more about the latest advances in credit scoring and how to grow your lending business by leveraging financial inclusion at VantageScore.com. On talking about engagement, the art of engagement, and then engaging customers, I mentioned before this matrix of how much engagement do you have with offers, and then how much card usage do you have? You talked in your session a little bit about how to get more engagement from customers who might have high card usage, but low offer engagement. And I wanted to hear a little bit more about that. And I'll just start by asking, you know, if you have high card usage already from somebody, what's the goal of engagement? So is it to shape the kind of usage or to introduce different products into their mix in terms of what they're buying with that card? Um, how do you guys think about the goal of that engagement? So we are first and foremost an ad marketplace and we need to satisfy the needs of both the advertiser and publisher. So high usage customers are great because we can understand their purchase behavior really well, which means that advertisers can tailor their offers to drive the right outcomes. So what does that mean? Like, you know, for example, Advertisers can design an offer to increase the number of trips or get users to spend more. So you get 5% if you spend $50 or 10% if you spend 100 or complete three purchases. These are what we call multi-tier offers. 
And these multi-tier offers are another tool that publishers have to gamify offers. There is a dopamine rush that users get when they complete a challenge and uh, achieve an accomplishment. So completing the number of purchases and earning cash, it makes the users feel proud of accomplishing a goal and makes you feel good about the advertiser brand and the publisher as well. And at the end of the day, I think that's what loyalty is all about, isn't it? So I want to switch to an issue that when it comes up can sort of be a almost a showstopper or kind of a separate part of the conversation when we're having a roundtable or a summit or whatever in DCA, which is incrementality, right? It's a, it's a constant issue. And you talked about it a little bit. And so I'd love to get, I guess, your perspective, Avinash, on how you define incrementality, how you talk about it. And then I'd love to have you kind of talk to us a little bit about um, how you guys approach this problem of showing incremental benefit to advertisers and to other players in the ecosystem from their marketing spend. So we provide test versus control reports, where we measure the purchase lift in the test buckets versus the holdout group. We also offer insights into um, share of wallet and market share pre and post campaign. So we actually show how the spend is shifting from your competitors during the campaign, which is such a powerful insights for our clients. In our world, the two strongest levers that we have to increase incrementality are the reward amount and the redemption window. We know that there's a certain discount that would influence you to go and make that purchase. At the end of the day, incrementality is really about you know what is the influence that an ad or a content is having on your purchase behavior. So for example, if you get a 5% off on Dyson, that might not be interesting to you, but if that reward amount were to increase to 15, then you may get excited or at least nudge you to kind of consider it. So next is the redemption window. So we've seen that by reducing the amount of time you have to redeem an offer can help you drive you know, more activations and drive the purchase behavior as well. We see this as well with redemption rates increasing as we get closer to offer expiry. So the countdown timers do help. Some advertisers care about configuring, you know, attribution window. So these are all the sort of things that we are currently working on as well. And, and there isn't one single answer, silver bullet, that will satisfy all advertisers, right? As they all have their own MMM and MTA models that they want us to plug into. So we recognize that the importance of providing them the data in the format that they want. And so there isn't anything better than showcasing a spike in, in sales on their dashboard. And we'll continue to make all of these uh, changes, these capabilities available, and the data available for the advertisers to uh, plug into their systems to help them kind of measure incrementality in the format that they are used to and uh, communicating internally. As you talk about this, I, I go to my nerd self, which is never far away. And frankly, I'm usually there to begin with. But, you know, I kind of grew up in the Chicago school of economics of just thinking about how rational actors behave, which then sort of evolved into a more humanistic, you know, thinking about, well, okay, empirically, how do people actually behave? And, and does it really conform to maybe like the model? And as you talk, I think, well, we know, those of us are inside the industry, the kind of people who listen to, to uh, Commerce Code know that the data sets are quite messy often, right? Like, you know, you'd think that somebody would be able to just study this stuff and be able to see easily why, you know, how people behave in response to offers, for example, but the data doesn't tend to be well organized. But it occurs to me that you, you know, at Cardlytics and some other other players in the industry too, I suppose, 
are increasingly sitting in a position where, you know, the stuff you're talking about, I think uh, somebody's doing a master's or a PhD in, in economics or, or even in psychology would salivate over those kinds of data sets, right? And I'm sure that you've got statisticians that are working with the data sets within Cardlytics that are able to start to answer some of these questions, right? Like, well, you know, what is the, because that's an elasticity curve thing, right? If you're talking about 5%, 10%, 15% discounts and, uh, you know, but how much does time matter? What does urgent, how much does urgency matter? I think it's super fun to consider that you're able to answer in, in the real world and with practical implications for, you know, for retailers, for brands, for consumers, for everybody else, some of these questions that are kind of core questions of the psychology, if you will, of, of economics and obviously the psychology of marketing. So that's, that's really fun stuff that you're gathering. And I, I know that it's harder than it looks to figure that out. So maybe we can, we can kind of close with this. I wonder if you have any thoughts on what's like, uh, you know, some fun, fun stuff that it feels like you, you've learned, or maybe you feel like you've started to learn maybe personally, you know, from just kind of working with this data over the years. I mean, you, you see a lot of it and I, I know, I think we, again, anyone inside the industry knows that to a greater extent than most people appreciate, when you look at a big data set, it ends up being real messy and you, you can't really draw conclusions from it. But every so often you have a little aha and you go, oh, wow, like it really makes a difference if we press this button over here, you know? So I'm just curious if you have any reflections on what are some things that you feel like you've you have learned by working with all this data and seeing how people behave in response to these offers? Yeah, it's actually quite interesting. There's always going to be a cohort of users that just won't care, regardless of how, whatever offer, the what amount that you may give them, they may just not care. And so coming to that realization and saying, okay, we're going to be prudent about knowing who to target and then when to back off, I think it's been very interesting. And maybe I should also use this opportunity for a shameless plug. And especially if your listeners are you know, um, interested in such large data sets, you know, they are data engineers who are excited about working on large data sets. We process 50% of all car transactions in the U.S. And we also get all the receipt level and SKU level data for some big retail brands through Bridge. So if that interests you as a listener, uh, you should check out the Carlytics Careers page and apply. Look, this has been a terrific conversation. Avinash, I'm grateful for your time, both at the summit and the presentation that you did, and also in the uh, fun conversation today. We look forward to talking to you again and maybe seeing you at a summit in 2024. Happy holidays, Dan. Thank you so much for having me. Commerce Code is sponsored by Pentadata, the all-in-one financial data API. Whether it is bank account data, credit card transaction data, or credit reports and credit scores, Pentadata has it all in one simple and easy-to-use API. With coverage of over 6,000 banks, over 200 million credit files, and 60 million merchants, you can get all the data you need for your apps at pentadatainc.com. Commerce Code is a bi-weekly podcast bringing you conversations with executives who are leading the way in digital commerce. If you like Commerce Code, your company should join the Digital Commerce Alliance and become part of our mission of advancing trade for good through standard setting, industry networking, conferences, and best practice sharing. Check out our website at www.digcomall.org. On behalf of DCA, have a great week. <laughs>